Just, uh, just to mention a little, little bit uh, of something. Right after the service, we'll wait maybe 10, 15 minutes, and uh, the Gardner family is going to have a wedding rehearsal tomorrow at 3 o'clock right here. There, I think, the wedding rehearsals today, the wedding is tomorrow at 3. And uh, forget what I said, know what I mean. And uh, I, I'm amazed, I was talking to, uh, to Michael about that, our groom here, that uh, on Monday at 3, I thought it would be uh, six of us plus the pastor. But uh, Jesse said that you guys have about 88 that are coming here at 3 o'clock on Monday or something like that. So if you know what's going on, if you're hanging around here after, like, what's happening here and all that kind of thing, a wedding rehearsal is going on, so we're glad to do that. Let's, let's pray, shall we, at this point? Father, we thank you so much for this absolutely beautiful day. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the gift of it that it is. That David has mentioned that time is such a precious thing. It's really more wonderful than any other uh, blessing that you give. We think of money, I think of uh, talents, we think of treasure, we think, but time is such a commodity, and uh, we lost even an hour last night, it's a reminder that it's going, going, and almost gone, and you're the creator of it, history is your story, and you have chosen to allow us to live at this point of time in human history, and at this part of your world, and you've brought each one here under the hearing of the gospel. I think of so many people that have never heard the gospel. I even think of this week as I expressed it to a dear one, and I could tell by the expression, Lord, never heard the simple gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Never heard it. But you've allowed us to hear it, and many of us, Lord, you've opened our hearts and you've saved us. We've come to realize that we are sinners and lost. We're born that way, that you're holy, thrice holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're not. We are born in sin. Our parents were sinners. It goes all the way back, according to the Scriptures, to our first parents of human natures that are, are tainted with sin. And in time, we sin, even as little children. We choose rebellion rather than obedience with our, our parents and and on and on it goes. Well, you, only you could interrupt that process through the hearing of the gospel. And maybe it was a, a dear mother, a grandmother, maybe a dad, maybe a youth pastor, maybe, maybe a brother, a friend, a workmate, schoolmate. Maybe it was a radio or media, or maybe it was a track that we first heard the pure gospel that saves. And bit by bit, for most of us, if we know you, you drew us and saved us, we come to realize the holiness of God and the wrath of God that stands against us and the, the love of God that provided man's only hope. Men and women everywhere is only through the sacrificial death of Jesus who died in our place. And when we, with empty, outstretched hands, receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, of eternal life, we are saved forever. And it changes everything. And that's what we've been studying, Lord, and, and asking you to bless our study as we hear that the gospel is the great and ultimate game changer. And we could never be the same, never. You've given us a new heart, a new disposition. You've given us the Holy Spirit. And uh, you're preparing us for heaven and glory. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus only this morning,
and that uh, your word would be clear and it would feed our soul and remind us in our resistance against sin, for we often still sin, we're messed up so. We'd find fresh forgiveness and cleansing and a determination to live again this week for you. Help us, Lord. Help the uh, truths that are proclaimed here from your word on Sunday have an empowering effect on Monday as we get back into the things of the workaday life. We love you. We're full of expectation. May we hear from you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hopefully uh, you have your sermon handout. You might want to pull that out, take notes. I'd like to use that. Take your Bible, look at uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, We're in part five of a message series I've entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything. You know, as a little boy, I don't know if you were like me, but uh, I used to get up early. I like to get up early. I'd get up early Saturday morning, and it's hard. It's hard for you to imagine, isn't it? It's such a different day. Uh, I, was, I would wait for the TV signal, the uh, and then at 6.05, they, they actually turned the uh, TV, the broadcast on. Now, that is a crazy thought, and my kids go like, wow, you are an antique. You mean they stopped broadcasting? Yes, they only had three stations, and they were out of it, you know, and then they had to wait till like uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, and it always went out with a Star Spangled Banner, you know, like at, at what was it? Midnight or something, 11.45 after the news. Do you know where your children are? And then it was it, and then, and then it was it. Well, I'd get up early because Saturday morning in the Buffalo area on uh, one of the affiliates there was one of my favorite shows, The Adventures of Superman. And I lay there on the uh, living room floor, and I'd watch uh, as only a six or seven, probably seven-year-old boy would do, watch this uh, mighty man uh, who could do anything unless there was kryptonite near him. I mean, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Welcome to the adventures of Super. I loved it. I was enraptured by it. This guy, Clark Kent, who was basically a bumbling, stumbling type of rather unusually normal guy, right, with his glasses on, and all that turned into, tear off his shirt, and there it is, cape. And yes, you're wondering, I had a cape. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, could do all kinds of things. Uh, and, and amazing. It really captured the, uh, the imagination of, of a young boy. A young boy. I, uh, and yet I knew it was fict, fict, uh, fiction, but anyway. Did, did you know, let me, let me launch in. Did you know that a true Christian is, is really like that? But for real, we're talking nonfiction, for real. We stumble around in the flesh, amen? I mean, we're really messed up. I love the church, because to get into the church, you've got to say, really, I'm a mess. Can you say that? I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> I'm a mess, too. Don't try and get into some of these high society clubs that way. They'll, they'll show you the door in a hurry. But the church is the assembly of sinners redeemed. I love it. And we bumble and stumble and fall around and do all kinds of things, sort of like Clark Kent. Uh, but for real, we do, don't we? Um, but inside, inside, God has given us a new nature. And through the gospel has given us the power to live supernaturally. I mean, it is. It's not intuitive for you to do that. We're going to look at a number of things here. 
And uh, we're talking about the gospel changes everything. And I'll just give you the thumb sketch again. He said, if he says it again, I'm going to... No, I want you to know the outline. Uh, oh, could I have some more tape up here, guys? I want you guys to know the outline of Romans. It takes chapters 1 through, let's say, 11, and he presents the gospel. And then when he comes to chapter 12, he's going to be immensely practical. As a result of the gospel in your life, this is how your life changes. Thank you so much, Dave. I know you don't want to, want to watch me play with that for the next 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. It changes everything. It's the ultimate game changer. He begins in tw chapter 12, verse 1. Now I beseech thee, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now we live for Jesus. And our mind in verse 2. And 3, we're humbled. And 4 through 8, we have gifts given to the local body. Use them. It's a body. And then and 9 to the end of this chapter, he's going to talk about characteristics. If you truly are a Christian, that, that God is working in your life and in mine. And so it's like a, a checklist. Are you a list maker? I am... I am a list maker. Mike, don't you make lists? How in the world do you live? I live, it drives you nuts. But just take, that may be the second best thing you get out of here today. I live and die by my list. If you could follow me around, I get list upon list. I have lists. If I lose my list, that's where my brains are. And there, Faith will say, asking me lovingly, did you get that done? I go, oh, was not on my list was not on my list, so I never thought about it. Well, I told you three, four times ago, like, just goes in and out. I got the stick'em. I got the memo. But, and you know what? I, the greatest thing's about list, you cross it out. <laughs> just go like, now, I, I want an amen. How many of you are listening? Amen? Don't raise your hand. Amen? All right, there's a messenger. That Mike. That might be the second greatest thing you get out of here. I'd be absolutely lost without my list. I don't know how the rest... You, you have to have either superb memories, which I don't, if you don't use a list, or what? You just don't care, right? Uh, <laughs> didn't get it done. <laughs> I don't know. I, I sit there. I, in my quiet time, I have a tablet in front of me. I do. And I write it down. And I don't have to think about it anymore while I'm studying the Word. Oh, that oop, oop, there. <laughs> there we go. Anyway. All right. Well, this is a checklist. You'll have to, some of you that don't like this, it, we're going to look at a checklist to see uh, what, um, kind of lift the hood up, look underneath it, going to do a checklist to see the effect of the gospel, the gospel that changes everything, what it uh, should look like in your life and mine as God is changing you. This is God doing it. This isn't you. Okay, now God works in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure, but it's all of God from beginning to end. These things are not natural. I mean, we're going to talk about one of these things. If you, you know, people, people ever irritate you? Do they? You ever feel like punching them out? Do you think that that's natural? That is natural. I mean, Ron was telling me a story this week. I was right with him. Some guy in a parking lot. Right? Eyeball to eyeball. Ron said, I wanted to grab the guy, did you say by the throat or something? Or you wanted to... And I'm like, yeah, I understand it. I mean, that's in us, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mess with me. You know, then you said, so he probably would have beat the daylights. Did you say something like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got news for you, that's natural. 
God, you ever see the Lord in the gospel do that? Come over here. You know, like, no, you don't. And God is changing. If you have the gospel, and don't tell me you're Irish. You know, like, I'm Irish and that's it. You know, sort of like, well, some of you are wearing green today and that may be your symbol. But it doesn't matter. God, if, you, if the gospel is in you, God is changing you and making you like Jesus. It's amazing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so uh, we're going to look at that list. Let me, uh, let me just mention, uh, John MacArthur has a commentary on Romans, just one paragraph. He said, a, a young man once asked me, how can you know if you are truly a Christian? I mean, can you know that? How can you know if your decision for Christ wasn't just some sort of emotional experience? And Dr. MacArthur replied, the only way to know if we have experienced justification, been, men, been made right with him, and been brought into his family is by looking at our heart and our lives. If Christ is our Savior and Lord, the deepest desire of our hearts will be to serve and please him. And that desire will be expressed in a longing for holiness and a pattern of righteous living. It is not that our lives will have become perfect. Well, you know, that's not true or that we will never waver in our commitment and obedience, but that the direction of our lives is Godward, that our supreme desire will become more and more like Jesus. He's exactly right. If you got that, you can leave. That's what we're going to say here today as we just glance at this checklist. And so let's call it three categories of supernatural living produced in us by the power of the gospel. I mean, this is a long list, and logically, I think, you can categorize them, and it's good to do that. Um, it helps uh, us to be able to think about them more uh, in, a, in an applicational sense. Three categories. Supernatural, this is not natural. Uh, the power of the gospel in us. And reminding us that supernatural living isn't mystical, but it is immensely practical. The first in verse 9 of chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, the gospel changes my heart. Uh, in the areas there are three given, they're kind of personal duties, if you will. Uh, let's read 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. These are personal duties, if you will. First one is love without uh, hypocrisy. The older translation has it. Uh, ESV says the love must be genuine. This is an unselfish, self-giving, without pretending type of love. This is the way um, that you and I uh, are being changed from being utterly selfish, and we are by birth. My truck, my candy, my, my, and it starts early and and it just uh, gets worse with bigger candy and bigger trucks. <laughs> it does. We're constantly thinking of ourselves, and the gospel changes us so that as Jesus, no greater love hath any man than this, then he'll lay down his life for another. I mean, it's the ultimate unselfish act of the Lord Jesus who died for you and calls us to this agape type of love that is selfless. Selfless. Incidentally, you know, that's one of the reasons God gives children is, uh, first of all, when you have a child that is totally and utterly dependent on you for everything, next diaper change, next bottle, next whatever, right? 
and you don't really feel like doing it, it, it reminds you how utterly selfish you are and how selfless, really, that role of that giving, caring, loving mother is in those very little years. She begins to flow out and die to herself to care for that little baby. And all you had it or you wouldn't be here. Somebody took care of you, patted on, on the head, uh, you on the head and changed your diaper. You'd be a mess if that didn't happen. I mean, somebody did. In those years, you didn't even know anything, and I didn't. Selfless. And, and love is the chief characteristic of a Christian. It is. I mean, uh, it, it's the mark of a Christian. How shall they know that we're Christians? By their love. Love for one another. Unselfish giving, caring, concern, praying, being for. That's that body life, self-giving. Now Judas, in the scripture, is the greatest example of the hypocritical so-called lover. I mean, he acted like he was part of the group, right? But he's the great pretender. There's a song out, wasn't there? The Pretender, some of you remember that? Oh, you're nodding, some of you are. <laughs> yeah, I know that song. If Roger was here, he'd give us the lyrics. I don't know how he knows the lyrics of hundreds and hundreds of songs. Johnny, how is that? Yeah, but he does. I usually look to him and he starts singing it. I, I don't, Judas was the great pretender. He was the hypocrite. In the Greek world, you, you know, the hypocrite was the actor. They were all male actors up on the stage and they, they wore the mask. That's where the mask, uh, the symbol of theater comes from. That mask, it was the, the hypocrite. They play the role of, of, of one or the other or a female either and they'd hold the mask up. That's the, where the word comes from. Well, the outside is not what's on the inside. Well, that's not to be for a, for a Christian, for you. If God has, has saved you, he's given you his heart, and in fact, he teaches you how to love each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, we are taught by God to love. We need that. It's great. You know, and one of the great examples of that, when you travel or you meet people that are believers, isn't it a wonderful, that, that instant uh, bond that you sense and feel, that oneness of Christ? It, it's the love of God that uh, we have sensed in, in Qatar and in, in, in England and in different places in Germany as we had occasion to travel and meet believers, and that didn't know them at all, but that bond, that love. Genuine love, love without hypocrisy. Second, abhor that which is evil. Going down the checklist, hating that which is evil. Do you know a Christian must hate? Almost sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? All, all true Christians must learn to hate. That's what the word abhor means. It means that we stand aghast. Why? Because uh, it's, uh, it's contrary to the holiness of God, and we see it. We live in a very unholy world. Have you noticed that? Is it getting better? I, I, I saw the, the judge, uh, Judge Burke wrote the book, well, and he's not a believer, though, doesn't pr uh, proclaim to be, but was it Slouching Towards Gomorrah? Wasn't that the title of the book? Slouching Towards Gomorrah. That was his statement of the culture of the U.S., Remember, um, he, he was, Bork was turned down uh, as to be a Supreme, United States Supreme Court Justice, slouching. I think he's right. I think his observations are right. It's not, it's not getting better. Yippee, it's more wonderful than ever. Really? What are you taking? You know, like, I don't think so. And we swim in a polluted pond. 
the media and the culture and every, it's, it's not that they want separation from church and state. I've said this a lot recently. They just don't want God. Just leave me alone. It's judges. Every man wants to do what he wants. I want to do what I want. Don't tell me. You mean God? Is, you mean I have to give an account? <laughs> yes. Every tongue will give an account before God. Abhor what's evil. And when God changes us, prior we love evil. Evil can be fun. It can be pleasurable. Sleeping around, drinking it up, drugs, lying, cheating, whatever, right? And then God saves us. He apprehends us. And, and now we discover, wait a minute, I can't enjoy my sin like I once did. There's an abhorrence within me. What a new disposition. It's the Spirit of God. And even when I, when I uh, crawl back into it, I... I and I, be, I begin to discover, wait a minute, uh, there's something going on. The gospel's changing me. I'm beginning to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. You know, God hates too. He loves and he hates. And I didn't notice that. I remember early on in, when God was really getting hold of my life in high school, latter high school years, there were some things that I, uh, I really got involved with, and then they, were, they were all right things, but at some point God began to touch my heart and say, do you really enjoy that, doing that kind of thing? I, Not really. And uh, I began to pull back on some of those areas. They were not, they were not overtly evil areas, but just there that there was a lot of evil at that area. And I began to say, I don't think that's for me. You know, I began to play. And that wasn't me at all. It wasn't. And perhaps you, you're, you're aware of that and understand that and see that in your own life. We now found, find ourselves loving what God loves, hating what he loves. What a change. Wow, a Christian must hate. Hate that which is evil. Hate that. You know, I love life. God loves life. I hate abortion. I mean, I, I know it's drastic, and when I say we're worse than Nazis as a culture, I say that to you. And I pray almost every day, if I miss a day, that's why I say almost every day, but I try, God, please change the landscape. 50 million babies slaughtered, and then we export this, this godless thought around the world. Nations follow us. They go, oh, God, forgive us, and it's evil, it's evil, it's abhorrent preciousness of life and other things. Wow. What a change, right? What a change. Love what God loves. God is God of beauty. Oh. And one thing, okay, we love people, we hate sin. Okay, Just so you don't think, I abhor evil, I hate the sinner. Don't do that. We love people. We love people. We, we, we love them. And, and God help you to how to do that. Look, this is how I, we said the other day, we're working with a couple. There, 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 there are some folks that were really lost, and how do we do that? And should we? I said, look, Jude says it at the end. With one hand, you hold on to the oracles of God. That's God's word. And the other hand, you reach out people in the fire. You love them enough to rescue them. And if, if we don't go and sit with the sinners and the reprobates and the down and out, what we are by nature, and until God saved us, then nobody will be saved. I mean, we gather to find strength. We gather here, and it's neat and wonderful. But then we scatter and take the gospel with us, and we love people. We hate the evil. We love the people that are caught in it. And that's not easy to do. God will help you in that and, uh, and, and help you work through that. Third, hold fast to what's good. You know, there is such a thing as good and evil. 
We live in a world where that says, well, really, there is no difference. It's not a moral world. Well, it is a moral world because God made it, and he is righteous and holy, and there's such a thing as good. I remember when Reagan said, you know, uh, that Russia in those days was the evil empire. Oh, the intelligence, oh, they snickered. Oh, that's primitive. Oh, he's a fool. They think he's calling them evil. We don't, we're educated. We don't use categories of thought like that. God doesn't have a problem. He says, this is good, and that's evil. And that's the way it is. And you start getting that muddied up, and he's saying here in third, hold to what is good. Now, the idea is to cling to it. Cling to goodness. Cling to it. Don't cave. The pressure is great. There's a lot of pressure for us to cave, to compromise, to give in. Oh, you know, just get sucked in. The Lord, help us, change us. Cling to it. Now, it's the word we get in, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, one of the words we get glue. It's like that super glue. You know, I remember when that stuff came out, I used to laugh at that. I, I know I used it before as an illustration where, where the guy put one drop of that super glue on some sort of crane and he picked his truck up. And I go, like, I got to get some of that stuff. <laughs> that is the best stuff we're going to, that is great. And uh, then I got it and there was a coffee cup that the little handle came off right there. You know, I go, like, hey, I got just the solution, you know. <laughs> And I was enjoying my coffee, like, what in the world? That stuff, I've been taken to the cleaners, right? Oh, the good thing it was only like three ninety nine or something. But my, I was holding my handle, and the coffee was all over, and it gave weight. Now, maybe the weight of it, I didn't t- check it, was more than the weight of that pickup truck. I don't know. That, I mean, you've got to think about it. That's the idea. Be stuck to it. Be stuck to the good. It doesn't matter what all your friends are doing, my father. If they all jump off the bridge, you going to jump off it? Yes, I am going to. No, you're not. <laughs> and there's immense pressure. Stick to the good. God, help me do that. The word for God, the word for good in English comes from God's own name. God is good. And he's making us like Christ with his goodness. Don't cave. Sometimes we need great discernment between the two, but once you find the good, cling to it. Hate the evil like a doctor would hate infection and try to obliterate from the body or it'll kill the body. Cling to the, that which is good. So he's stuck on it. Stuck on you. There's another song. Stuck on you. I like that. That was a, a romantic song uh, back, back in the dark ages, right? <laughs> stuck on you. Actually, it's very biblical. That comes right from uh, uh, Genesis. That's another story. Look at the second category. These are personal. Second, we're going to move. I can't make a lot of comment on these. It's a checklist. As I, as I look at that, I go like, Lord, how am I doing on these? Oh, yeah, no. And that's, oh, oh, Lord, look what you're doing. I need some. Oh, Lord, help me. The second category is that God, the gospel changes me in my relationship within God's family, within the church. And uh, some call these ten family obligations. Uh, among believers, if you will, uh, here among at Grace Church, first, uh, love one another with brotherly affection. That's being devoted and brotherly love. It's that closeness. It's not optional, and it should flow from within us. This love we have for one another is so, is so wonderful, really. You know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And, you know, there are a lot of folks that come from uh, broken homes, meaning uh, that they may be the only one who's saved in that home. And there's a lot of estrangement because they're not understood by dad or mom or brother or husband or wife and all that kind of thing. I grew up in a family where my father was spiritually dead and lost for all those years. And um, I was talking about some of those things yesterday with my mother, you know, and, and she knew the Lord. She came to know the Lord when she was nine. She had a godly grandmother. And uh, the, we look at the seed of the gospel. But all, many, many years my dad was not saved, and she craved that closeness of, of the church family, the bit that she could be there and be a part of. She felt this family, the love of a family, that spiritual kindredness, and we need each other. We get knocked around in the world and beat up. and, and be, It should never be for the church. This is like... Uh, it should be like a mass unit, you know, a mobile army surgical hospital. We get beat up, we come here, and we go, these are friends. These people love me. They care for me. They, they're helping me, and there's sometimes I can't go. And, you know, and we have times of great sadness and broken. We need to be carried and supported. That's a family. That's what it's about. Keep your finger here. Just let me show you And uh, First John. I have it on your sheet, chapter 2. Look what John, the beloved, writes <clears throat> about this uh, brotherly love that uh, we uh, that God works in us through the gospel that we have one for the other in John chapter first John first John chapter two verse nine ten and eleven uh, in this John is is asking whoever says he is in the light meaning I'm a Christian and hates his brother and, and that means his spiritual brother or sister, is still in darkness. It's incompatible. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, it's not optional. It's a family. Uh, B, outgoing, uh, uh, outdoing one another and showing honor. That's a quality within the, the family of God, the effect of the God. Not natural. To put others before yourself. That's what it means. We want to show honor. We want to prize them. We want to lift them. Look at what they're doing. Listen to her saying, what a great teacher. What a servant. Oh, we're lifting up others like that. Like that, you see? And we're not, so wait, oh, when is somebody going to say something about me? You know, I've, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. Nobody's noticing. It's the opposite of that. It's the opposite. It's, uh, it's lifting up all around me. Don't you love being around people like that? that the joy, and that's, a, that's what God's doing. He's doing in your life. Be quick to acknowledge the accomplishment of others without being jealous or envious. For we're always thinking of ourselves. Oh, you know. Well, it's it's natural and intuitive for us in the flesh say uh, to say that. Well, nobody says I sing that as well as she does. And then to have a very polite form of hate. Oh, I hope she loses her voice. Right. <laughs> It's true. I mean, what's natural? Here's what's natural. I have it later, but I might not get to it. But when I played freshman basketball, I, and I've said this before, some of you bear with me, but I was not good enough to be a starter. I was wrestling at the club, doing club wrestling, and I was sixth man on the team. You know what the sixth man on the team does? 
sit, that's a lot of sitting on the bench. Yeah, and I, and, uh, and I was always pulling for my team and all that and wishing the number five guy, <gasps> I hope he hurts his ankle. <laughs> Good job, twist it, twist it, you know. <laughs> now that's natural. Is that not natural? It is. And what God does in a rather Clark Kent-type, natural, stumbling, messed-up guy, through the power of the gospel, I can, from my heart outward, not worry whether Terry gets in the game, but I can really cheer for my team. That's supernatural. Cheering on others. That's what he's saying. That's, that's the gospel. That's the power of God working in our life. It snuffs out that stinky jealousy or envy that reeks. Look at C, not slothful in zeal, but D, but fervent in spirit. Not slothful. This is in my action. It mainly speaks to my activity. Whatever you do uh, for the Lord should be done with gusto. Oh, my. I got to teach the kids again. They just go die. You know, we'll just have a funeral for you. With gusto, whatever you do, you know, whether it's in the little uh, areas that you count at that or not, I get a chance to serve the Lord, and that great? Gusto. You know, that's how God lives. Did you see the sunrise this morning? I was watching that, that, that come out like, wow, dude, vividness. You think Genesis 1 was ho-hum? And God said, let there be light. Whoa, look at that. Uh, no, it thundered forth. Wait until you hear the stereophonic beyond to the nth degree music in heaven. You're going to blow your mind. You say, I've been to some great concerts. You ain't heard nothing yet. It's going to be with gusto and the beauty and the glory in the presence of the King of Kings. That's the way we ought to conduct ourselves. I'm a privilege to do this. And, and, and fervent in spirit. It's passion. It's living with, it's the word boiling. I mean, it's just not lukewarm. Man, you're, you're, you're serving the Lord enthusiasm. When I went to business school, I remember one class that was on marketing, it said one of the keys in business is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm sells. I think that was his lecture title. You know, like, be excited. If you can't be excited about it, you can't expect anybody to, well, I suppose one in a million will buy it, but, you know, figure out the benefits to it and get excited about it and see them using it and enjoying it. And we're seeing, get excited. Enthusiasm sells. It, what, what's it, mean? it affects people. It does. You know, I love those guys on the hit shops, hit slices, hit this, hit na, 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 na. You know, at 11 o'clock at night, you're looking at this thing, how much is that, Nine ninety-nine. He's all excited about it. It gets out spots here and there and everything, pot, your pets and everything. Don't worry about it. That's out. You need it. And we'll throw in three of them. And all the, what's that number there, 1-800? The guy's all excited. We're fading off, and I'm trying looking for a piece of paper, you know, right there. I mean, we're, we're in the greatest business of all. It's the Lord's work and whatever. There's nothing small or minute about it. We have to be with enthusiasm, serving the Lord and, uh, and, 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 and that. Serving, that's ease, serving the Lord. It's the idea to be happy, to give ourselves as bond servants to the work. What a great thing. What are we doing? Oh, we're doing the king's business. Ah. <laughs> whatever we do, you know. Give ourselves. Someday you're going to be, look, 
Have you figured it out? You're going to be dead soon. <laughs> Read Ecclesiastes. Where we're all headed, there's not going to be a lot of activity. Now, he's only talking about the grave. I mean, you stop. You don't sing. You don't do anything. You don't give. You don't evangelize. You don't do anything. The body lays there. Now, your soul will be the living part. You'll be in glory if you know Jesus. Well, that's where we're headed, and the train is moving faster. Give yourself to something. You know, a lot of people, they say, live boring lives. Do you think that's true? I want to know that. Do you think that's true? I've been reading that more and more. People are bored to death with life. Are they? Amen? Some of you, I, I, I'm not saying you are if you say amen. Some are like, oh, this is a trick question. <laughs> it's not. Give yourself to it. Re, how about rejoicing in the Lord? Rejoice in, in, in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Hope always refers to what was God has promised. You know, hope realized is not hope, it's reality, right? But hope, this confident expectation in God and His Word, it speaks to what we've not seen, the resurrection. That's how he ends the great resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your work in the Lord is not in vain. That's our confident expectation. What? The bodily resurrection. Because Christ was raised, so we shall follow him. What a great thing to know when we bury our loved ones or we get bad news. from it, it's, a, it's a living hope. It's wonderful. It goes way beyond the grave. And, and we have this, and we, we ought to rejoice in it. The joy ought to exude from us. The hope of closing our eyes and being with Jesus. It ought to, we, we gain strength from it. We, we gain strength. Tom Pollock one time, I was at the Holy Spirit Hospital, and Tom and Betty had been married a long time. And they had the terrible uh, life experience uh, where Tom, years earlier, before I knew Tom, uh, was sitting on his porch uh, over in uh, Harrisburg, and his son was a young boy, don't know the exact age, maybe seven or eight years of age. And Tom sitting on the porch, and his son ran out in the street, and he watched his son get run over and killed right in front of him. His only son. And uh, I remember praying with Lois and Tom many, many years later. Now, they're quite old at this point. And uh, he talked about the great hope he had of seeing Jesus. And right after that, I'm going to see my son. I'll see my son. Then as the Lord would have it with Tom, I was at Holy Spirit Hospital, and I just happened to step into the room to see Tom because he was getting some testing. Something wasn't right in his liver. And uh, I just happened to be there the moment that the doctor came in to give the report to Tom. It was Tom's laying in the hospital bed. And... Uh, the, you could tell it was going to be very bad news. And uh, he was fumbling for the words. And that's a hard thing a physician has to deliver because you see all kinds of reaction. And when he finally got it out, Tom's face lit up like, can I say, like the, an angel. And he starts shouting, praise God, I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to go home. Uh, it went, he went on for like... I, I, I looked at the, I'm sure that blessed physician never saw anything like that. What a witness 
of the confident hope that Tom has in Jesus. And I had his funeral later, and Tom went home to be with the Lord. That's what we're talking about. That's the thing that keeps it going. I mean, there's a million reasons to quit. People will, you all may fail, and they fail, isn't they? But Jesus never. I mean, how do you keep going on? God's changing us. He's reminding us, wait, wait, this is just the preamble. The life, the bet, the, is coming. It's the hope of the resurrection. It's heaven. It's to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever, entering into his joy and glory and knowledge. Man, I can't wait. Whew. Patient and tribulation. It's waiting. Oh, that's tough business, isn't it? We wait, and our confidence is in him. We don't know how he's going to work out. He tells us we're victors, and we're waiting and waiting and waiting for him. H, constant in prayer. Why does it say that? Because we quit. What's a mark of God in your life? Well, we better pray about that. He's developing a prayer life in you. It should be like breathing. Amazing. We talked about that last week, how God made us. You know, like we go to sleep, and you don't have to say, all right, brain, keep breathing. God made us so fearfully wonder. It just keeps breathing. Now, some die in their sleep. They obviously stopped. But you're, you all made it through the night. And, uh, but prayer ought to be constant in prayer. As we learn that sweet fellowship and discover that prayer changes things, it really does. You know, if you ask me to pray, uh, and I pray for all of you, uh, just about as I look around here by some I don't know exactly, but um, then I'll ask you about it, or I want to, because I pray with expectation. I'm not just blowing air and, oh, it's a sweet, wonderful thing to pray. Let's just pray. No, I pray seeking, storming the throne. Ask, seek, and knock. I, so I'm expecting God to do something. Yeah, that's it. Lord, what are you going to do here? Now, maybe, it may be waiting. It may be a no, but Lord says, ask what you will. Who do you think puts so many burdens on our hearts? It's the Lord. That's not Satan. Oh, that's Satan's activity. You want to burden your heart to pray. I don't know what Bible you're reading. <laughs> and so I pray, I want to know. And I, I, want, I pray with expectation. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We're generous. We identify with, with other believers in the family. God in need, we stand with them. We recognize the lordship of God over our checkbook, our resources, our time. We stand with them. We share. That's the word koinonia. That's the Greek word, sharing, in common. You can check Acts, write that down. I don't think I have it on the sheet. Acts, Acts 4, 32, the early church. It wasn't communism. I've heard people talk about it that way. It's not. They willfully, because God worked in their heart and life, sold private property, put it in a pot, sounds like a benevolent fund, and then gave to the believers there that had need. The reason was, is they were all gathered there at Pentecost. God wonderfully stay, uh, saved thousands. The church began, and they hung on a lot longer than what their, their original plan was, and they, they were hungry. I mean, they were hanging around to get discipled, and they were there for a long time, and then they went back to their home. And so they had uh, financial uh, needs. They needed shelter. They needed food. And so uh, part of the body, caring for the others, recognizing the Lordship. So we're generous with that. And last, seek to show hospitality. This is uh, loving strangers. That's what the word means. Filio zenos uh, is the word. Filio, Philadelphia, lover. A brother, love of someone who's different. Zenos, a stranger. You know, so what's that mean? 
You know, have you noticed that not all, everyone's like you? Have you noticed I told Ed this morning, uh, I was always glad f- that I didn't, that faith, faith was so different from me. I'd be so, I would never want to marry me in a female form. <laughs> That's kind of a gross thought, isn't it? But, but you know what I mean. I mean, she's so different ways, and, and, and uh, I'll never quite figure it all out, and that's sort of God's dynamic. It makes life interesting and wonderful, you know. <laughs> and, and churches are like that, and people are like that. We're not all the same. We're not uh, robots just stamped out. And we come from different backgrounds, different likes, different nationalities, different races, different ethnicities, all this kind of thing. And, and what he's saying, in the body of Christ, don't show partiality. Love all people. I really pray that Grace Church, as God grows and develops and we move and see the building and our new land and all that develop, that it becomes like a UN, people from all over the world that love Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, man, it'll add such glory and, and so much. Don't just love your own kind. He's in the NASCAR. I'm in the NASCAR. We're goombods, and that's all I need. You know, like, your world is very small, you know. God has joys and delights beyond what you can imagine in the people. So seek it. It's the idea of pursue it. You see someone that's a little there, go after them. Hey, we've got to have a meal. Hey, how, you know, check in and, and care for them. See if they have any. These are gospel changes in me and my relationships on the checklist within the family of God. Finally, he closes with the third category, the gospel changes me in my relationships with all people in general. These are more universal. It will include some believers more generally and unbelievers. As you look at 14 through 21, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now that could be believers. Have you ever been persecuted by another believer? Martha just told me today, she said, it's terrible sometimes how Christians treat other Christians. And it is true, and it's a sad commentary. Sad commentary on the love that ought to be found in God's family. We ought to be the most forgiving, most loving. Well, we're sinners saved by grace, every one of them. But sometimes the persecution in a lot comes from those who are outside of the faith. And what, is, uh, what, what are we to do here? If you have the heart of the gospel and the power of God supernaturally changing you, it means that you're to treat them like friends. Treat them like friends. Like Jesus. Remember our Lord Jesus? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In Luke 23, they're on the cross. They're nailing them to the cross. Would you say that's an enemy? I, yeah. That's the power of God changing you. What's naturally? You, you put your finger in my eye, I'll take both of your eyes. I'll see you and raise you. That's naturally. That's intuitive. There's nothing good about that stuff. That's the flesh. Anybody can do that. You did that, I'll do this, plus. Okay? What's God doing in your life? Well, when you're hurt, you go, Lord, I forgive them and release them. I'll never forget uh, LaVon Ridgeway, well, her husband and daughter, her husband was killed. 30, Max was 39, he was gunned down by a suitor, a boyfriend of their daughter, Rhonda. Never forget that time as a pastor, Faith and I, caring for that family, uh, gunned him down, unloaded a 357, boom, 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 boom. And he sat there for a day. No, he sat, he lived for a day. 
They got him hours later to the hospital. He swelled up and then he died. And, and he was, Max was way up here. <laughs> he was at height. I said last week, I wish God, oh Lord, let me be six foot something. And Levon was, where was she, dear? And it was like, yeah, he'd pick her up, you know, like just, you know, 88 pounds. I'll never forget, um, you know, standing with her and seeing her in church. She said to me one day, Pastor, I, I've got to sing a song, a solo. And of course, the church is brokenhearted. We, I mean, it, it's not just a week you get over that. It, it's, oh, you go through that grieving with the family. And, and she, she sang a song. And before she sang it, she said, I want you to know that I've forgiven him. I have released him of all his wrong. And she said that before my sermon. That was the sermon. I should have just had the benediction. And she really did. I never sensed any other bitterness, hatred, malice, retaliation, none of that revenge. You see, God was at work in her. That's not intuitive. The intuitive thing is, I'll hate him until he dies. You know what happens when we hate like that? They still control us. And some of you had uh, people really do bad stuff to you. Maybe a parent. Now they're dead. They're gone. And you still have that. And they're still controlling you from the grave. God, uh, God is saying to us here, if you have the gospel, it's not in you, it's me. I'm changing you. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause you to love them, and you're going to forgive them, and you're going to be whole. And until you do that, you'll never be right. You'll never be right. I'm going to make you whole. That's what the word salvation means, to be whole. He makes us whole. So great. Bless those who persecute. Bless them and curse them not. We're never to curse them. Same to you, fella. No, 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 no. Do, do you feel like doing that? Yeah, amen. Bumper car in the parking lot. Here it comes, right? Yeah. Well, so what? You just told me you're of the same flesh that I am. That's nothing. That's not, we've grown, we just, uh, fail that one, remedial class, summer school, here it comes. That's how that works, you know. And Stephen is a great example of that. How about C, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Here we, it's right for us to rejoice, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, in the blessings and the honor and the welfare of others without resentment. Someone wrote, uh, it's, it's, it's harder to rejoice with those that are succeeding than those who are suffering just because of our own envious, wicked hearts. And maybe to that, when someone is suffering, oh, it goes right to our heart. And, and we feel that. We, 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 right? And it touches us. The, the, I, I love the, to see the compassion of Jesus in the gospel, that he weeps. And there he is weeping. Now here's God in flesh. Here's the creator God without sin. You say, what's a real man like? Outside of Lazarus' tomb, he's weeping. There's the sense of the weeping, the crying, the grieving. <gasps> he weeps. Or there he is going into Jerusalem and the compassion he has on people that were rejecting him. He knew what was coming. The judgment would fall upon him. Somebody would be killed. And he's weeping on the day, uh, 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 Palm Sunday, coming in. Weeping. How often I would have gathered you, but you would. That's the heart of God. You say, what is God like? That's God. 
And that's God in you that gets your eyes off yourself and, and to be able to empathize with those that hurt around you and shed a tear, even a guy. I know a, a guys, we're not given to tears, most of us, like the ladies are, uh, more so, but, uh, but Jesus did, and, 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 and I, can, I have wept. I have been in such sad situations where I couldn't control Jesus did that. Look at D, living in harmony with one another. How about that? Not only Christians, but all people. And as much as possible, it's a two-way street, it is. We do all that we try to do, and if they don't come over to meet us somewhat, then we give it to the Lord. The Hatfield and the McCoys, we had a neighbor like that. Our neighbors, uh, I won't mention the name because these get recorded and put out there and... <laughs> But it was rather strange. We had some strange stories and a fence line that divided it and, and all kinds of things. You know, and we did, and my father kept saying, we're going to do everything we can. We're, they're real close to us, and we're going to try and live peacefully here. We're neighbors. <gasps> ah! I know what, we're probably the only ones that had neighbors like that. And so we'll move over that. But as much as possible. You know, uh, uh, have I offended you? Have I forgiven you? Please forgive me. It's, but do it. Pride will keep us from it, you know. And, we're, we, and, and along with that, associate with lowly. Don't, why? Don't think of yourself too highly. We're on the same plane. And so on. Or that somehow you're better. How about E? Never repay one evil for evil. Let me just say, this is not national. Some of our pacifistic brothers and sisters in Christ, they say, well, look, see, we shouldn't have a defense. Send the military home. <gasps> no, don't do that. Don't do that. This is per He's talking personally here. There are enemies that would destroy our way of life in a second if they could. I, I thank the Lord this morning for the men and women in uniform that stand guard while I sleep. And you sleep. And that they're watching and waiting because they would, they would ruin our country in a moment. He's not talking about nationally. But even after uh, we saw our country, it did such a wonderful thing after World War II, and we still reap the benefits. They touched on this a bit after they conquered the aggressors, Hitler and the Third Reich, and then the Japan. It was the American ta taxpayer money, the Marshall Plan, that went in and rebuilt that country with seed money and protected them in the Berlin airlift. And then Japan went in there and rebuilt to the point where uh, 20 years later, our factories and, and country would be competing against these newer, modernized places. And we treated them as friends then, and we still are reaping the benefit of that. But they had to be conquered as enemies, aggressive enemies, or you and I would be Guten Tag wie Gates. We'd be speaking uh, uh, German here or something. Uh, you see what I mean? personal enemies. And we're, we are not to, uh, we are to respond to them uh, in a way that honors the Lord, never repaying them back evil, fully evil. Well, what can we say? Lessons for our life, number one. Number one, I think, is it printed on your sheet or no? No, okay. Number, number one, know that if you are genuinely saved, you can never remain the same. If you are the same, that's a problem. You probably were not saved. 
The gospel's power in your life will change you. It's a lifelong process as you find yourself yearning to live a life that pleases the Lord. There is a yearning within your heart. You're still stumbling about. We're still Clark Kent. Awkward, clumsy, you know, and we choose to sin, but the direction of our heart is to please the Lord. And he's shaping us. And we sing, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, to come just a week to make the moon and stars, Jupiter and Mars, but he's still working on me. And that desire will be in your heart. Praise God for that, really. We are his trophies. It's not a self-help thing. He'll make you both willing to do it, I want to do that, and give you the power in the gospel, sanctification, to do it. Number two, number two, what can we say, lesson for our life? Second lesson, how did you do with a checklist? Does your life reflect Christ-like change? Ask the Lord. Take that list today and this week and study it and give it to the Lord. and Say, Lord, show me where I'm falling way off and where I need to come uh, along and be like Jesus. To those that know me best, what would they say about the checklist as they hold that up and, and examine my life for your glory. Uh, number three, strive to live in an examined life. Someone said the unexamined life is not worth living. Inspect your heart, your motives. That's the tough one, the motives. We can, we, we can lie to ourselves. We have that inherent ability to make certain things we do seem completely reasonable, and we're dangerous. Lord, please peel back the motives of my heart so that they are honoring and pleasing to you. Focus on Jesus. He gave his life for you. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Living equals Jesus. And to die then is gain. Praise God for that. Number five, perhaps, perhaps God's spoken to you this, this morning. On number five, perhaps the word has spoken to you this morning. And uh, you, you've now seen, you know, I, I don't think I'm saved. These things are not true in my life. I want them to be true, but they're, they're, they're not there in my life. Uh, the good news, the door's still open. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you, in a simple prayer of faith, this is it, now don't miss it. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Thank you for dying in my place. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. A simple prayer like that. You don't have to anything else. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the only way to heaven. There's only one way, and that's it. Well, Superman's a great story, but it's fictional. It's fake. It's pretend. But you and I... If you are in Christ, and if I'm in Christ, now that's real. The gospel changes everything. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word. And thank you, Lord, so much for the power of the gospel in our life. You take us and change us, and you're making us like Christ from the inside out. And I'm so thankful, Lord. I can't wait to see the finished project. Look to see, Lord, no more sin in the presence of sin in my life and in my brothers and sisters, Lord, and, and so I thank you for it. It's your work. 
Thank you so much. Bless us, Lord. Make us a blessing to all we meet this week. Favor the work of our hands and go before us and use us for your glory's sake. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.